This is Coda Radio for December 28th, 2022. Hello, friends, and welcome into Coder 498, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and my God, I hope he's there. It's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris Fisher. Hello. Hello. God, are you there? For all I know, the thing's going to fall apart. I am here. Can you not hear me? Yeah, no, no, it's just some, you know, Christmas elves got in here, and I think they just mess with stuff, you know? They just turn knobs. Seriously. You know, you know, like elves just get in here. You know, you've heard of Elf on the Shelf? Well, can you imagine how destructive Elf in the studio is? Just think about it. Mm-hmm. It's not good. It's not good. But we are gathered here for our last recording of the Coda Radio program for the year. So we are recording this episode at a time. It is the 19th as we record. There's a lot going on. A lot of opportunities for me in particular to say I told you so. But I, I don't know if we can really get to any of that. Because by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be old news. It's going to be like, beyond old news it's going to be stale slightly moldy news i know what do you what are your thoughts on that this is a challenge for today's episode so there's there's so much going on in topics we've been covering uh i think i know we should lead with the most kind of sad but a little funny news uh, sam bakeman freed just a little bit of time in that bahamian prison now he's not finding extradition to the u.s that'll that'll do it right <laughs> i noticed he's also uh he's wearing a suit jacket now and suit pants and uh, no longer the the hoodie and the shorts and he's not playing league of legends so yeah yeah he's got a real sober look to him now all of a sudden bit of a different demeanor too that so that's a thing apparently he's facing up to 115 years in federal prison so ow i have very mixed feelings on all of this like it just seems like a lot of prison time for something not violent but i'm i've heard from like various legal experts and things uh you know on basically boring am radio which is what we do but we call it podcasting (gasps) so it's different and cool um that the odds of him getting that much time are really low so i'm not i'm not sure right like this i don't know what do you think about this i feel like this is a, a really unsatisfying ending to this because it's not over yet, but I think what's going to happen is this dude is going to get crucified, and, and he's done some bad stuff, so fair enough. But the VCs seem to have not learned their lesson at all. They've learned nothing. They're like the kids in South Park. Yeah, in fact, individuals that were associated with Alameda and FTX that also already had their own funds are continuing to operate, and one of them just announced a deal. It's probably been in the works for months, but they just announced it this week, that they that their, their VC arm just secured a deal with a with a tech company that's known and it's like there's zero repercussions for the people that poured the gasoline on the fire and that's literally what they did here it's incredible and sbf will take the fall i have zero sympathy for him i have to say i i think uh he more than deserves what he has coming and he won't get lifetime i'm sure but this may take a decade i mean if you think uh the google versus oracle lawsuit was complicated Right. This is a bigger deal than Enron. This is going to be a long, long process. Wow. It's it's long. It's complicated. It's, you know, this weird new crypto thing that I think is going to be really tough for the prosecutors. I have a feeling they're going to have to make the bank analogy, right? That if you have customer accounts and it's pretty, although it is kind of simple, right? He just misappropriated the funds. Yeah. I think it depends on which, what direction they go. 
if they if they look at it as basically misappropriating the funds and they look at it as securities fraud, then I, I think it probably is a little more straightforward. But if depending on how if they go the bank route, it's going to get super complicated and deep. You know, I watched the Senate hearings on the collapse that's that SBF was supposed to attend, but he got arrested the night before. I can say probably in summary, they weren't worth anyone's time to watch and nothing, nothing at all, nothing was put forward to address this problem. Um, there was a bunch of consumer surveillance legislation proposed. There's some bipartisan, you know, to just to monitor all types of transactions that was that was introduced that wouldn't have solved this in any way. <laughs> uh, so that's really disappointing. And then we see no repercussions with the VCs. We see no repercussions in how all of that funding worked. And then ultimately, of course, the thesis of this show to really, you know, to start it off kind of heavy. But the ultimate thesis of this show is that it was the loose monetary policy for the last decade that enabled this entire hype mania cycle to to happen. And um, in some ways, SBF was just a victim of time and place, right? It's it what he did wouldn't have been possible without the loose monetary cycle and the VCs that were trying to chase 100x returns for the future of finance. And just their religious uh, resistance to any kind of due diligence, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. Still, it just drives me crazy that the fact that he was just like openly rude in meetings, playing video games and dressing like a hobo and, uh, you know, claimed to have driven a Civic, like was enough to wow these VCs. Yeah, I would love to hear from somebody in the venture space because I don't understand why this worked so well for him initially. Yes, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yeah, you... Typecasting. You know type, why. Right, I, I just keep coming back to typecasting. Like, Yes, he played to all... I mean, or put to another way, from another perspective, he played to all his privileges he took advantage of people that have those privilege biases, and then he said the right things, and he donated money to the right powerful people. Ugh. He ran a playbook that is so well known at this point that I can say those things, and it's just obvious to everybody. Nobody's like surprised by it, but he just did it, and he did it well. And he printed his own money and used that as collateral, and then he took customer money, and he turned that around and used it for donations and loans and collateral itself. You know, Alameda was this trading arm that was front running FTX customers. They were getting trade data ahead of FTX customers. And they still lost money. They at no point were ever building a sound, solid company. FTX never properly surrogated customer funds and business funds. Full stop. And they even they even commingled funds between Alameda and FTX. Full stop. That's fraud. That's not how you run a business. That right there, doesn't matter what Sam says they were trying to do, that right there was negligence. And as the CEO, the buck stops with him for that. And there's just no way around it. You're right. It's one of those situations where, does he deserve 10 years? Yeah, maybe. Does he deserve 150 years for the rest of his life? Because, you know, he's, what, a young kid? No, I, I don't think he does. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he does for that. He didn't kill anybody. That we know of. It, it's kind of horrible because I, I do agree with you on the monetary policy and the you know, whatever typecasting the thing mm -hmm. that the remedy for this is just throwing these people in jail when and the VCs. Just, I, I, I endlessly think about it. 
had Elizabeth Holmes just been able to like barely squeak by and not have that Walgreens uh, deal have you know the whistle blown on it, or you know shut up or gotten that kid Tyler to shut up, right? She probably would have gotten away with it. Cue Adam Newman, who, I mean, to his credit, he really did build a big company, but he just didn't believe in making money. If the Fed hadn't turned monetary policy around and begun raising rates and begun quantitative tightening, I think FTX would have pulled it off. In fact, I think he would have got his regulatory moat that he was lobbying for. Yeah. Yes. So it, it, It's weird. It's weird that, okay, then, so you have that set of facts and the remedy is... Well, because it almost sounds like your incentives, if you are like young and going into the startup space, are to, in fact, wait for just like hope there's another frenzy, be as cray cray as you possibly can, and just hope that the environment is such that you just get away with it. I think when you look at it as part of a bigger macro picture that was an enabler and that he was a he was just in the right place at the right time in history. I think that does change the perspective a little bit. And I think what you're getting at is arresting him and throwing him in jail while it's something that should happen is basically attacking the symptom and not the root cause of the problem. And SBF and FTX and Alameda and all of their associates are really the results of a broken system that actually enabled them to play the politicians, to print their own money, to build up all this crazy leverage, to play all these margin games to front run their customers and get away with it in the Bahamas, like all of it. It's not just one country's fault. I mean, it's, there's a lot of fault to go around, but it, it's a whole system. And including, including this altruistic movement from all these billionaires who have guilt for being so rich that they've come up with this whole theology and this whole religion around giving back by being super crazy rich, thereby justifying the ridiculous amount of the resources that they hoard. And even, you know, he was a product of that culture because his parents believe in that philosophy. And it all is just like a product of time and upbringing and the state of the overall macro monetary policy. Yeah, he's the one that chose to make bad decisions. But I think it's hard for us to really, truly understand how any of us would behave if we were honest to God, given the ability to print money. If you could actually print money, just isn't that an interesting mental exercise for a moment? Sure would change my life. There's probably a lot of different decisions I would make all of a sudden. I mean, I think we should introduce Jar Jar Coin. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is, is we need like, we need our parents to be buddies with uh, Gary Gensler. Uh, we need like all these connections to investors. You know, the, the, there's a great piece from the Financial Times that really outlines how those around Sam initially gave him the money to get this whole thing rolling and how it was that uh, altruistic movement that kind of organized around Sam and realized there was an opportunity here and gave him a few initial million of seed money to start this whole thing in the name of their grander philosophy. And I find that to be worth looking into as well. But of course, it absolutely isn't being. Um, those people are not, those people aren't even going to be questioned, right? They're just going to go about their day. Like they were never involved in this thing. And like, they just made a bad bet. Yeah. We should, we should get off Sam Bankman free because we have other crazy people to talk about. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're going to run the cycle again as we keep doing, because we are bound to hell like Sisyphus. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I have a little announcement. I am leaving the mad botter to be the CEO of Twitter, I guess, maybe.
Why not me? This should be me. I'm joking. I would never want that job in a million years. No. No, I think that actually be a really bad idea to tell you the truth. Yeah. I, I don't think you'd like that. That would, you know what? That would be like if you did that in real life, it'd be like this is the worst decision of your life. You could you were going to you were going to wreck your life. What are you doing? <laughs> I, well, unless it was just like to shut it down, right? Like some kind of Manchurian candidate situation where I'm just going in to blow it up. I wish. That's what my hope has been around this whole thing. You know, who knows where I mean, God, this is the crazy thing. It's cuz we're recording this before Christmas. We're recording this on the 19th. Last night, as we record, Elon started a poll asking if he should step down. It was wild. It was freaking wild. After blocking and then unblocking Mastodon and other social media promotion links, uh, then, he, uh, then he said all future policy will be done by poll, which is ridiculous because, of course, those things can be gamed. He set a poll. To people vote to see if he should stick around. And 57%, I believe, or something around there, of people voted that he should step down. And we, I don't think we've heard anything since that poll ended. But it ended with them saying, yes, step down. Uh, as we record the show right now, we actually not have we have not heard his final decision, although he has done some follow up tweets where he claims nobody wants it. Nobody could take it on because they've been in a spiraling debt since March and you have to have super deep pocketbooks to keep it alive. A situation that he created. <laughs> it's amazing. It's it's truly glorious. I'm going on my limb again. There is no four dimensional chess here. He just really screwed up. Right. It's 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 just bad. Sure, he might pull it off, whatever, but he's got to get out of there. On the news that he was thinking of stepping down from Twitter, the Tesla stock went up like five or 10 percent. Yeah. And it's been taking a pounding. Again, I don't think it's 4D chess. What I think it is, is like you, I think he's flailing around from decision to decision. But then when he gets into a position, there is a logic to some of his choices like this poll. He did an interview two months ago. I have a, I can put a link in the show notes where he said his plan is to step down. And I have been saying since April, I went back and checked the coder, check the coder backlog. I have been saying since April that if he took it over, because did you know we've been talking about this since then? My God, Jesus Christ, that if he took it over, because at first he just bought a little bit of shares. But anyways, back then I said, if he takes it over, he's going to get in. He's going to get in for about 90 days. He's going to be a bull in a China shop and wreck the place. He'll be the bad guy. Because only Elon Musk's brand can take that. He'll wreck the place. He'll take all the grief. And then he'll exit and put a peacekeeper CEO in to rebuild. And like you've said, then that person's going to be strapped with horrible debt and the company will fail. And I don't disagree. But I think, you know, when he put a poll out there asking if he should leave or not, he's already been thinking this. Uh, no, okay. He said it in November. I'm sorry. He didn't say it a few months ago. He said in November in an interview that he's going to step down. The whole poll thing. As an edgelord himself. Do you know why I don't put polls up anymore for the show? Because <laughs> what happens is basically every troll in the universe just picks the most extreme or like ironic choice you put in there, right? And if you don't put something funny in, they don't do the poll. So, you know how I found out about this poll? I didn't find out about it on Twitter. It was all over Reddit and it was all over Hacker News and everybody was organizing to go vote yes to leave. You know, it was all over the Internet, people organizing. So, of course, he brought in tons of people. And maybe that's his point. Maybe he's just trying to drive traffic, but I doubt it. You know, I think it's so funny because everyone has really gotten a little bit of ED over this, a little Elon derangement. I thought you were saying erectile dysfunction. I was like, what? Yeah, you see what I did there? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. This is a litmus test of if you get caught up in this hyperbolic crowd cycles that sweep across social media like you've seen our inbox you've seen what our inbox looks like i've seen our inbox 
People are so triggered by my by me even suggesting that some of the things he does have logic behind it. And like that and that the fact that people people can can see the things that he's built and the companies he runs, but also think that he has no logic and no intelligence at all. That's that's very hilarious to me. I think he has. I think he's admitted to it. He's got Asperger's. I think he probably indulges in substances. We've seen pictures that seem to imply at least cannabis and alcohol. And I bet medications as well. With bad mix. I think he's not getting enough sleep. I think he's probably got one of those kind of brains that moves pretty quick. So like he goes from zero to a hundred on something uh, really quickly. And, you know, he it moves quicker than his uh, censorship components do. And all those things are bad, bad qualities that do not. And, and I think he's completely detached from reality and the average person. I think he kind of lives in this idealistic version of what the world should be. And I think all of those things make him a bad leader for Twitter. However, I think all of those things made him perhaps the only person that could go in there and clean up this company. I mean, I don't know if you've seen this Twitter auction that's going on as we record. Have you seen the fact that there's like several $30,000 cappuccino machines? Each chair is like a $1,200 chair that they're now selling for 80 bucks. What? They've got like, you know, 65 inch. They've got a stack of 65 inch plasma screens. I mean, if you just look at the auction that's going on from their San Francisco. Wow, this is the stuff they had in their office? Well, no wonder they... Yes. Come on. I think it tells the entire story when you just look at the stuff on in the Twitter auction and you see how unbelievably opulent it all was. And I think there's very few people, that, especially if you, if you look at the Twitter files and you see the kind of censorship and moderation pressure from different directions that this company was under and the choices that they had to make, like there's very few people that could do the job and now he does need to get out of there because he's not the right person to run the company. And, the, you know, the Tesla shareholders are punishing him for it. Who knows where it's going to be by the time this episode goes out, though? He's in a bad spot. He never should have done it. But it is what it is, you know. It's like I said, he's going to go in there. Oh, and then one last point. One last point, if I could. I played this clip back in April, and I'm going to play it again for you today. Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Um, so... Uh, it, it, it's just really important that people have the, both the, uh, the reality and the perception uh, that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. Um, and, you know, so one of the things that I believe Twitter should do is open source the algorithm. Now, that's my beef. He's never open sourced that algorithm. But second of all, that doesn't sound like somebody who was going to do absolute free speech to me. Now, I don't know if you agree with what where his lines are at, but that was back in April of this year. And that didn't sound like somebody who was going to go in and institute absolute free speech on the platform. It sounded like somebody who was willing to be argued with on what is reasonable speech and what should be censored by the law. That's not absolutism. And people have just gotten this bug up their bonnet about it. And it's just so funny to watch everybody just go into like, well, ED mode. So I, I think what happened is, right, playing a little devil's advocate I mean, he, he's a person, right? I think people act like he's this, like, god, emperor, you know, automaton, whatever. He's also a dude who, up until he did this, could walk into any room and basically be, you know, lauded with acclaim, right? Praise, everybody, blah, blah, blah. Fast cars, fast women, lots of money, right? The man was living the dream. Now, he kind of blew himself up a little bit with this. I agree. Yeah, I mean, he really. I, I can't even imagine what this has done to kind of other areas of his life. 
right? But I mean, like, how rich do you got to be? I, maybe he just doesn't care. He's got FU money. I feel like he does care, right? I feel like at this level that you're always keeping score. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I mean, let's see what happens, right? Like, you know what? I've been playing around with Mastodon. I like Mastodon a lot, but Twitter has a lot of traction, and it's uh, definitely got more, particularly as I've been getting more into, you know, tabletop games and things like that, more quote-unquote normies. So that's a thing. I'm waiting to see if the normies start doing the uh, rage quitting that I see all the tech folks doing. Yeah, I, I just don't necessarily think a good use of twitter is to talk about twitter god <laughs> they love talking about twitter though that and elon yeah it's like okay you hate this guy i get it it's funny because i have a similar complaint about most prominent tech blogs now where they're kind of talking about themselves like media all the time now like part of my, my bacon it's this is some uh, bacon out of new york it's trump bacon oh all right it's funny, you know, I haven't seen that going around as much these days. Well, all right. My my bacon is, I think, with the 2016 election and all the Facebook stuff and Cambridge Analytical, Analytica, the tech media world kind of had their head explode. Yeah. And they did the thing you should never do, which is say never again, right, under any circumstances. Because guess what? When you say never again, you're you're in this horrible place where you have to do and accept literally anything if you're going to be true to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it, it kind of justifies a lot of actions. Well, it, it justifies, I, I just, and maybe it's where we are in the cycle now that we're going into a recession, although lots of people would tell you that's not true. It sure feels like one. Mm-hmm. I think the the general kind of tech world has lost its way a little by getting a little too intertwined with the media people. Because it's just a different thing, right? They should be about engineering and invention. Because every everything's become a me- everything. Everybody has a media arm. Every tech platform, even regular companies, they have, they're all they all have media arms now. And I think that's why social media has become this huge, unrelenting influence on that whole space. It's probably we should just move on because you know we sh- this. Who knows? Who knows where things are going to be at by this point? Because we're doing literally the same thing right now. <laughs> yeah, we've probably captured as much of the values we can for our particular demographic. And now we'll just sit back and see what happens. Tell you what though, I am bullish on activity pub. Hey, Oh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's activity pubs. The real winner in all of this. Lino.com slash coder. That's where you go to get $100 and 60 day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting with the best performance and support in the business. And they're 30 to 50% cheaper and those crazy hyperscalers that want you build spe- to build specifically to their platform. You know what I'm talking about. And they're always trying to upsell you. Linode gives you this complete package and you pick the price and performance that's best for you. They have 11 data centers around the world. They have great features like S3 compatible object storage, cloud firewalls, powerful DNS manager, backups that are easy, transparent, super simple to understand and recover when you need to. Like that kind of stuff that really matters. They just check all of the boxes. And if you're trying to build something for your backend, maybe like your workflow, like GitLab, or maybe you want to mess around with a Mastodon instance and on and on, they have what they call their app marketplace. And it's all free stuff, but they call it their app marketplace. And that lets you deploy things with just a couple of clicks. Like in the case of the Mastodon and GitLab instances, they'll ask you a couple of critical questions that you need to configure that server, just like in a form. You answer those questions, you hit deploy, it's off to the races, and now you've got something going. And then you combine it with like TailScale or Nebula or just a WireGuard VPN. You could keep it all behind private IPs on a private protected LAN. It's a really powerful combination. And 
I've been a Linode customer for three years and I'm still really, really happy. Like just absolutely the best service I've ever had. And guys, I've been racking and stacking, as they say, for 20 years because <laughs> I'm an old man. Oh, well, actually, just because I started really young, right? That's what it is. I mean, that's what it is. Anyways, I've seen it all. Been there. Literally from the very beginning of the industry, just like Linode, and they've been doing this for just about 19 years, and they had to just survive on the merit of their product. And that's why they're willing to offer you $100. So that way you can go try Linode and see what it's really like on your own. No guardrails, no like disabled stuff. Just take that 100 bucks and go try it and really see how it works for you. And they're betting, and I'm betting, you're going to be impressed. And that's why they advertise here on the show, because our audience loves it. So go try it. See what we've been talking about and support the show. You just go to linode.com slash coder. You get that hundred bucks. Linode.com slash coder. All right. We got a spicy email into the show. Dom says you and I are way off on our take on two-factor authentication. Guys, I'm usually all in with the get off my lawn mentality, but your take on two-factor authentication and its challenges, it's narrow-minded in my opinion. In this case, using Google Authenticator was a bad idea since the app It's only had one update in 2017, one in 2020, and one in 2022. I mean, I'm surprised Google hasn't killed it yet. Username and passwords were enough for the early internet era, but increasingly our daily lives involve the digital realm. With this comes more and more data breaches, account compromises, and our lives being negatively impacted. Now, he says, yes, a strong password's good, and that's something you do need to have, but a... Two-factor authentication for something like a software as a service account or something like that is absolutely essential. He says, I recommend using Authy if you don't want to think about backups and if you have multiple devices or Aegis, A-E-G-I-S, for power users. But let's not spread FUD. Embrace the technologies and keep our digital life safe, private, and secure. Oh, and P.S. Mike, congrats on getting hooked. I think he means hooked. So that is a spicy take because I still don't think we were wrong. I mean, I agree that you can use better tooling. Yeah, I got that from a lot of people that like MS Auth is better and uh, there's a bunch of tools, right? Uh, So fair enough. Yeah, we talked a lot about this. I don't know how deep we want to go, but I I don't think we were necessarily wrong. I do think Google Authenticator is just a bad choice. I I see. I think for people uh, that are listening to this show, it's a solid recommend. I think you guys can all probably manage it. I still... I hesitate when I think about family members who, you know, maybe their only device is their phone. And if they lost that, because I definitely have family members that just don't even use computers anymore. They're generally the older ones or the younger ones, but they don't use a computer. And if they lost their phone, they wouldn't have another device to install. They'd have to get like, they'd have to go to the store, buy a new phone. And in some cases, maybe they do an iCloud restore. In some cases, I don't know what they would do. And I, so there's that real kind of hesitation I have because that would really, really screw them up. Like, you know, imagine they're trying to get into their bank account or something like that. I just feel really hesitant still. I want them to use it. I think a solution maybe besides Authy might, maybe for those types of folks is maybe Bitwarden because then they could sync it and they, you know, install the Bitwarden app on the new device, log in and it, if they're a member, they can do their two-factor tokens as well. But it's still just on the edge of recommending it to normies for me. I have to say, unfortunately, we also I'll just uh, just sum it up. We got an e- we got an email from Remembers Only. Uh, Remembers Only says that Apple just needs to admit the containers are a thing. He's like not happy with the Docker experience 
on Mac OS. And he wonders if we think Apple will make the kernel changes necessary to enable Linux style containerization or provide some kind of WSL type layer for developers on Mac OS in the future. Do you think, do you think Apple would ever do that? Make it possible to run Linux containers or something like that? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think they would. Would they do it in the, in the WSL kind of way where it's like a Linux environment? I don't think so. I think they would just add the support in the kernel. Yeah? Yeah, I, I, I feel that way. I don't think Apple wants to touch anything GPL. Well, they could also come out with their own proprietary solution, right? I think they just, I think they just will say, screw it. If you want it, uh, you can use virtualization. And I think they've told you what their answer is. I don't think they have any interest mm. in, in touching that stuff. It's just probably, man, well, because don't you think when they picture a developer, aren't they really picturing like an iOS developer using xCloud? They're not really picturing. Uh, I, I think I think they're picturing a lot of web developers. It's a big part of their, their market. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I'd be willing to bet that there's more like Rails developers and stuff like that than there are uh, Swift developers. I hope you're right. If only we knew. Well, speaking of Apple. You know, the situation in China is bad. Demographically, China has some of the worst demographics in the world. And uh, they have a horrible economic situation potentially brewing as well. And Peter Zeeland is an American geopolitical analyst and an author of a couple of books about, you know, geopolitics and whatnot. Uh, He seems to lean left just as a, from what I could tell, just as a disclosure, he seems to be a left leaning uh, uh, politically. I think maybe he's most well-known for uh, The Accidental Superpower, one of his more popular books. And he was just recently on the Power Hungry podcast. And actually, I've noticed Peter's actually been on a roll. He's been on several podcasts, uh, and he always seems to be considered a very esteemed guest. I'm, I, so I'm not super familiar, but I just did a little research there for the show. But what he says in here, I thought, sounded ludicrous. But then when I, as I looked into the guy, he seems to know his stuff. I'll play a brief clip where he says coming very soon, like this decade, there may be a five to six year period where there are no iPhones produced. Uh, Apple is the American company that has refused to see the writing on the wall. And every time there has been a hiccup in relationships, whether it's the trade fight starting under Obama, getting serious under Trump, getting codified under Biden, whether it's warrior or wolf diplomacy, genocide, Hong Kong, whatever it happens to be, uh, Apple has doubled down. And now 91% of their supply chain is dependent upon mainland China for in some way. Uh, and so we are looking at Apple as an institution, as a firm ceasing to have a product set for several years until they can rebuild that supply chain somewhere else. Now, if this had been a normal company, I would say that this would be the end of the firm. But Apple has like 18 bajillion dollars saved up right now. They can afford to go out and rebuild their supply chain in other places. But if that's not something you do in two, three or four years years so we're probably done with iphones until around 2028 done with iphones until 2028 now what's weird about that is all of that really sounds pretty on point until he gets to the point where he says we won't have any iphones and maybe i just can't wrap my brain around that but i agree apple has really hung in with china much longer than the writing on the wall suggested they should they really should have begun pivoting during the trump administration and they did very minor things and uh, I also agree that, you know, it's going to be probably years, three to four years to spin up any kind of replacement facility. And so if they did have to switch, it would it would take them years. 
But I, I don't know. I just cannot foresee a reality where we don't have new iPhones until 2028. No, I don't buy that at all. I don't buy that at all. What's your gut tell you? It's that there's going to be an iPhone every year. Are you basically thinking that China's not going to shut down? We're not going to have these problems like this guy. He's just off the mark or that somehow with their infinite money, they're just going to somehow get these facilities up and running. I mean, I, I think we're going to have increasing tensions and problems, but infinite money gives you infinite optionality, right? I think what shook me is the fact that that's even on the table, what this guy says. Could you imagine the world's one of the world's richest companies with their leading product being able, unable to produce it uh, for that long of a period of time? That's a crazy thing to start forecasting. That's how you know we maybe maybe that's a bottom indicator. <laughs> yeah, but they're already taking steps, right? So they're already taking steps uh, to move, you know, production to other Asian countries and to bring some some stuff back to the U.S. I uh, Tim Cook is not a dumb man. He he sees the writing on the wall. I hope you're right because that'd be a massively market disruptive movement. I mean, that would be an incredible upset to what has been a very strong decade for Apple. And it would be just a total upheaval of the board. I mean, in terms of app store dominance, because, yeah, I would I would assume some Android manufacturers would continue. I don't know. Who knows? But it just seems absolutely like it would be turning everything we know about the current tech ecosystem just upside down in a couple of years if that were to happen. I mean, when you take it as extreme as, extreme, extreme as that guy went, I, I start to wonder, well, is it possible we'll have shortages? Who knows? I got to imagine... Like you, this is what Tim Cook is is good at. This is what his skill set is. So he's he's probably more aware of this than that Peter guy is, right? That's the bet I would make. But yeah, that's exactly what it is. I think I think he's I think Tim Cook thinks in decades. Well, uh, our friends at System seventy six uh, every so often get an ad spot in the show, and I I get to pick what we do with it. And uh, so this week I thought instead of running an ad. I'd cover some recent cosmic developments because there has been a lot of skeptics out there in terms of just the development scope of work that System76 has ahead of themselves to develop their own cosmic desktop, which is using Iced, which is using Rust, and it's kind of a new take on a classic flavor. And it's something that people are keeping an eye on to see how things go because they're, I think, hoping it fails. And I have the other take on this. I hope it succeeds. And I think this is something that's worth giving them the runway to, to experiment with. And I wanted to do a little check-in on their Cosmic desktop and see how things are going. And I was actually pretty impressed. My takeaway was there's been re recently, like just in the last month or so, huge improvements to the Cosmic desktop environment, and in particular to the compositor. Uh, the list is massive. I'll put a link in the show notes. I went through and I was like, okay, yeah, we're getting some, they're really actually, they're actually getting there, right? They've got built-in tiling to this thing too, which is really cool to see and see the features that they're completing on that, you know, properly built. And I thought, okay, that's, that's great. But what is the upstream situation? I do see code from System76 folks, uh, some to Pipewire for some Debian packaging, Glow image rendering support for Iced. A lot of, a lot of this is actually upstream to Iced. So they're upstreaming a lot of the work they're doing to Iced there. I'm starting to get kind of excited. I'm thinking, thinking I'm setting like my expectations for, and maybe this is too soon, but I'm hoping maybe by the end of 2023, we're looking at something that's in a pretty good state. Maybe they're hoping for something sooner, but it's a big job. But the, uh, the work continues. This could be, I, I, I really feel like desktop Linux 
could use a nice upset in this space. I have been trying to get Linux set up for my son. I got him set up on Fedora right now, and it hasn't gone as well as I wanted. And part of the problem is, and surprise, surprise, is he has some GNOME extensions he ended up liking, and then GNOME updates, and those extensions are not working now. And now it's not laid out the way he likes it. And it, it just to him makes it seem cheap. He just thinks it's it's crappy that it just breaks on him like that. And his friends just tell him to use Windows. And that whole thing is just like, I got to figure out a better way to do this. And I hope, I hope with Cosmic and Iced, I hope maybe we have a shot at this. Plasma's pretty great too, so I'm considering going that direction. But if we were going to do something in this era, area, I just feel like Gnome could use some competition. I mean, it works for me, but just because it works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for Dylan or somebody else. Or like, So I'll put a link to the stuff that they've submitted upstream. You can go check them out. They have the new uh, System76 has the new uh, Launch Heavy, too. New keyboard over there. System76.com. Tailscale.com slash coder. Simple, secure networks for any team at any scale built on top of WireGuard. You'll get it installed in just minutes. It'll manage your firewall rules. And it'll take care of all the carrier NAT stuff you might have or double NAT, anything like that. Tailscale is really the magic sauce to my private network. I have it installed on my phone, so my phone is always part of the Tailscale network. And that's how I sync to my next cloud, which is only on my Tailscale network. And so all of that traffic is protected by WireGuard. And Tailscale has this beautiful backend that just totally takes care of the initial discovery. It'll do the initial key exchange, and then your machines talk directly to each other. And Tailscale's always been just totally on the cutting edge of features, and they've recently been rolling out new features like, like Funnel and, of course, a brand new one that lets you manage the keys yourself between your machines. And there's things that just make using Tailscale like day-to-day really nice, like their Magic DNS feature. Or, of course, Tailscale Send, which just makes me essentially have airdrop between all of my devices, including my Linux desktops that support Tailscale. It's like the it's like the level of having sync and SSH. It's along those levels of what it lets me get done and how it's changing how I do networking. I no longer have any inbound firewall rules. I've got no inbound firewall rules now. Because of Tailscale, it's all on a private secure network and it's protected by the best VPN tech in the business. So go try it out. You can use it for free for up to 20 devices. It's not a time limit. It's not a limited time thing. It's for free for up to 20 devices and it's Tailscale can do this because you're sending the traffic between your machines, right? They don't, they're not like investing in terabytes of transfer a month or something for all of their customers. They'll help your machines find each other, and then they're talking directly to each other. And if they're on a LAN, they go over the LAN. And if they're across the world, they'll go over the internet, and the user experience is the same. It's just a difference in transfer speed. It's very impressive. You're going to love this. Go try it out right now and support the show by going to tailscale.com slash Coder. That's tailscale.com slash coder. All right. So what is your thought on these big tech companies that have joined together to kill Google Maps? This is not my headline. It's not how I put it. This is how Gizmodo put it. It's called the Overture Maps Foundation. Big surprise. It's from the Linux Foundation. And they're partnering with some of their favorite companies, Meta, Microsoft, Amazon Web Services, not Amazon, but Amazon Web Services, (laughs) and probably one of the more valuable people in that membership, one of the more valuable companies, is TomTom. They've all come together to, I guess, offer another mapping alternative, a comprehensive alternative. What do you think? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, on the one hand, it really makes a lot of sense that TomTom Tom would be into this. On the other hand, it's not going to work. So, you know, Ultron is going to win. I'm sorry, Thanos is going to win in this case. <laughs> so I'm not sure why they're doing this. I mean, I guess they get some press coverage, so good for them. But You know, I, yeah, I, I agreed. I was trying to parse that together, like, why? What's the why behind this? You know, I, I'm an Android user now, Mike, you know. Filthy green bubble. Sorry. Yeah, I'm a green bubbler now. And, man, there's nothing good on Android outside of Google Maps. There's a bunch of stuff. And I, and I like Magic Earth quite a bit, but nothing like Google Maps. They really have that lockdown. And uh, I, I kind of feel like nobody but a big old conglomeration of these big old companies could take on Google Maps. I was trying to get to the why like you and what I kind of got out of the TomTom CEO is in here. They talk about how the world, this is a quote from one of their internal emails about a month ago for a different product launch. But I think this kind of shows you where their brain is at quote. The world of maps today is pretty siloed. Everyone who is making a commercial map, whether they admit it or not, is starting to see that there are limits to what one company can do no matter how big or powerful or well-funded they are. So like maybe there's like more things, there's more market demand for map data to do more with maps and Google's just not stepping up to the plate because they're like, they've got, they got their thing. And because it sounds like to me, when you consider the Linux foundation, what are they doing? Right. They, they take a bunch of different generally free and open source resources. I don't know about in this case, but generally, and they kind of bring it all together under one umbrella and make it approachable to corporations and businesses so that way they can start building Linux into their car or building Linux into their appliance or whatever it is, right? They make, they make the free software world compatible with the business world so that way they can build their products on top of those platforms and the Linux Foundation continues to get paid by the companies involved that are all making money off of it. That's the system. And I think maybe so if you look at it in that lens, I think it's got to be there's a business, there's businesses that want to build mapping into their products. I would, oh yeah, I, you know what? I bet you it's the auto industry. That would make sense. The Linux foundation is so in with the, with the auto industry right now. Yeah, that, that's gotta be it. And they want, they want more data. They want to be able to use it for EV and self-driving and they need to be able to ingest that information and use it internally in their systems and have it up to date. And Tom, Tom just announced some sort of initiative where they're going to get more up to date maps by using some multiple different sources they're going to bring in like hundreds of different sources to try to get the most up-to-date maps possible and like it's all kind of coming together to take on google i think for businesses so developers will probably get their hands on this in that context but probably not in the context of being able to build cool apps that you can sell to consumers that'd be my bet yeah it makes sense to me i mean why not cars the next frontier i guess be interesting to see if google responds by some sort of product offering or some sort of adjustment to how they do things. By boosting their <laughs> mapping efforts. Yeah. Speaking of boost. Boost to gray. Uh, we start out with a real holiday boost. Uh, Enutech boosted in with 420,420 sats. Hey, Richard, that champagne. Yeah. Thank you, Enutech. Uh, and Merry Christmas to you, too. He says, Merry Christmas, Chris and Mike, to your families as well. Uh, and today is my brother's birthday. Hey. So, if you could give a happy birthday shout out to my brother Dave, it's pronounced Davi. 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 Here we go. Happy birthday, Davi. Misa, been waiting for your birthday, David. Jaja Binks loves you. 
You still got to stay bomb bad birthday party. I didn't get my birthday party invite. You gave one to Jar Jar and you didn't give one to Mike and I? Everybody loves Jar Jar. I know my DMs and at replies would suggest something else, but you guys know that you secretly love Jar Jar. Well, who gets the birthday invites and who doesn't? That tells it all. We also uh, got a little PS here on this boost. It just says, uh, long live Snow Leopard. So there you go. Uh, uh, long live Snow forever. Leopard. Forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts. Uh, Active Shadow came in with 50,000 sats. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Been listening since mid-August, all the JB shows, and I just love the great discussion. So I thought I'd share that I have benefited greatly from using VS Code remote dev containers to keep all of my per-project dependencies off my main machine. Good stuff. Yeah, very nice. Uh, I have a mix of projects I maintain across multiple coding languages, C++, Python, Golang, and Rust. And across different versions for each. And remote dev containers make it easy to support and even share. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you. And then sneaking in with just some baby ducks, dark matter PHP dev says, uh, can we get a link to that uh, Chris on the local news queuing for an iPhone in his robe? You know, I looked really briefly, uh, dark matter dev, and I couldn't find it. You know, when you search for people waiting in line for iPhone, I tried to narrow it down to like the Alderwood Mall. That's where it was at. Guy in a yellow robe because it was a yellow Star Trek robe. That was pre-coder, obviously. Now it would be the coder. Um, and I couldn't find it. It was, you know, it had to be one of the early iPhones, maybe the seven, maybe the four or five. I bought a couple of the early ones, but I don't know. Uh, Trev Dev boosted in to recommend a book, Clean Coder and Clean Code, a handbook for agile craftsmanship. Clean Coder and Clean Code. Good books. We actually, back in the dark days when we did a lot more book reviews, we recommended, I believe it was Clean Code. Aha. Probably a Clean Coder too. If you'd like to send in a boost to the show, you don't even have to switch apps anymore. You can just get the Albi browser extension and then go to the Coder Radio entry on podcastindex.org, which I will have linked in the show notes, and it just embeds the boosting right there in the webpage. And you don't have to get a new podcast app, but if you'd like to, newpodcastapps.com and try out all the new podcasting. Tudado! features and thank you to our members those of you who have been with us through the year or that just signed up recently we really appreciate you and uh, we'll have a new coderly in q1 which isn't too far away and check the coder radio feeds or member feeds we may have something i don't know where we're going to stick it where there may be a little holiday treat or surprise for you for mike and i so keep an eye out for that uh, Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you would like to send people this week? Uh, sure. I'm at Dumanuku on both the bird site and the elephant site. <laughs> I strongly recommend you maybe hang around the Matrix chat at noon on Thursday. That's right. There you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna rec- I'm gonna double down on that. Of course, it'll be last Thursday by the time they hear this. That's the that's tricky. But well, you know what? But the, the doctor taught us that time is not linear. True. So who knows? Yeah. Everything may exist over at Jupiter.2. That's right. May all be present there. So wherever, whenever you're listening, there may be something extra. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to also double that recommendation there. Plus one, coder.show slash matrix. Links to what we talked about today, coder.show slash 498. Our subscribe links are over there as well, so you can get it every single week. And our contact page, because we love hearing from you. That's there too. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coder Radio Program. Hope you have a great holiday, and we'll see you right back here next week.